Hi, I'm Nora, and I'm at church. We're having a conversation with a pastor once where, you know, he listed these verses out to me, and I was like, well, you know that that word homosexuality is not in the original language, right? And he was shocked, and uh, he didn't know what to say, and then he just kind of, you know, dismissed it and moved on. But I'm like, no, let's sit here and let's actually think about the implications of that. Like that word is not actually there. So why do we have it there in the English language? Um, and the answer is that the reason why we have that word there is because when uh, the concept of sexual orientation was developed, and Freudian psychology became, you know, very popular, became popularized. Um, people started thinking about identity through a lens of sexual orientation for really the first time in human history. Yeah, defund the church, rebuild the kingdom, ain't no doubt. Time to wake up because the church walls shouldn't be there to keep people out. Yeah. Let's come together, ready for change, now is the time We are one unit that is under God Let's put it into the racial divide uh, I gotta scream it out louder Let's rebuild the kingdom from the ground up Bringing unity in the community And keep the Holy Spirit all around us Yeah, yeah, defund the church, let's go Welcome to an episode of Defund the Church I'm Frank here with Pastor Justin of the Belong Collective And we're so excited you could join us tonight uh, If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast We're on iTunes, Stitcher Podbean and all other major podcast platforms. If you're watching this online on YouTube or any other, maybe Instagram, uh, not our usual iTunes format, you'll notice we have a special guest with us tonight. I'm so excited to introduce author, activist, and Christian, Bridget Eileen Rivera. If you don't mind, Bridget, just introduce yourself to the audience. Tell them your story. I think it's an amazing story. Just a little background. I, I heard of you when I was watching Justin Q's uh, channel. Uh, he has a pretty cool channel and I saw your interview and it opened my eyes and I just want you to share uh, the knowledge, the journey that you've been on with our audience and, and thank you for being with us tonight. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really glad to be here and um, yeah, uh, like you said, I'm, um, I did an interview with Justin Koo and um, I, I loved that. And so I, I'm glad to be here and getting to know you guys. Um, but yeah, I... I'm a, a writer. I'm currently getting my PhD in sociology and I have a book coming out uh, this year on LGBTQ discrimination. And uh, that topic is near and dear to my heart just because it's something that I have personal experience with as a lesbian in the church. And so uh, I uh, have that book coming out uh, this year in October, and I'm really hopeful that it can do a lot to open hearts and open minds and hopefully make the church uh, a better place for LGBTQ people. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me and what I do. And um, yeah, kind of a, a basic summary right there. <laughs> Is your book targeted toward the church then? Is that the, the goal is that people in churches would read it? Is that your hope? 
Yep. Uh, the book is uh, for Christians. It's written to a Christian audience, uh, probably uh, geared more towards a conservative Christian audience that comes from a, a traditional sexual ethic perspective. Um, for me, myself, I um, come from a traditional sexual ethic. I follow a traditional reading of scripture. So that means that I believe that um, the Bible teaches that marriage is between a man and a woman. Um, and so because of that, as a gay person, I choose celibacy. Um, and so my book is kind of written towards that audience, towards people who come from a traditional perspective that, you know, believe, um, in a, a more traditional understanding of marriage and uh, kind of wanting to reach those people um, to help them understand what goes on in the church and the challenges that LGBTQ people face in the church. Um, hopefully with a, a, a mind towards making things better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you, um, I, I know in my uh, coming to understand the LGBT community um, just as a pastor. Um, a, a little backstory on my story, because I think that's kind of important for context for the question that I'm going to ask. Um, I was a youth pastor for many years, had multiple students come out to me as gay, realized the way I'd been taught to handle that, keeping in mind I have two degrees from Liberty University for context, raised very conservative, <laughs> um, was not really the loving christ-like approach to how to handle those situations um and ultimately just sent me on a journey of listening and you know becoming more open to an affirming posture um toward the lgbtq plus community right um with that though it's an interesting journey because you kind of feel like oh well once i cross you know over into this world everyone's going to believe the same over here. And it's like, no, there's a, there's a wide spectrum of mm -hmm. belief in the, uh, in the Christian LGBTQ plus space. Right. So mm -hmm. speak a little bit to that and where, how you've navigated. Cause I know it, it's got to feel a little bit lonely probably at times. Right. Because mm -hmm. I, I know you're not necessarily getting love from conservative Christians. Right. Mm -hmm. and you're not necessarily getting love from affirming LGBTQ people who are like, no, don't choose celibacy. Choose choose to celebrate your sexuality in the sense of like entering into relationship and so like just speak a little bit about that tension and how you came to that conclusion because um I, I know a few other people who have come to that same conclusion and, and I think it's an interesting journey that they've had and I would assume yours is similar so share a little bit about how you came to understand your sexuality but then how that tension of like figuring out how that works in the life of the church and in community yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the, there's definitely a tension there for sure. And I, I would say that probably the biggest challenge comes from uh, uh, churches, uh, from within Christianity, just people not understanding the even possibility that gay people can follow Jesus and just constantly needing to chip away at so many of those prejudices and assumptions that people have about gay people. Um, I, I do, on you know, the side uh, within the LGBTQ community, um, I do experience some tension there. Uh, most of it stems from kind of almost trigger responses to the concept of celibacy mm. uh, because 
celibacy has been weaponized for so long and traditional sexual ethics has been weaponized for so long against the LGBTQ community. And so when they hear that I'm celibate and that I follow a traditional reading of scripture, they automatically interpret that as an attack against them. Um, and so, you know, not everybody, but, you know, many do. And it's more just like a trigger response as a result of trauma that they themselves have experienced as a result of being mistreated for so long. Mm -hmm. And I empathize with that because, you know, I've, I share those experiences and, um, you know, have, you know, had a similar difficulty with traditional sexual ethics because of the ways that they have been weaponized. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, I, uh, I don't, find that the LGBTQ community is necessarily antagonistic um, uh, to me being celibate, to me following my understanding of the Bible, as long as I'm not forcing that onto them and telling them that they need to do it too. Um, and, you know, same thing for LGBTQ Christians who um, are, you know, progressive and don't follow a traditional reading of scripture and, you know, are okay with getting married to a same-sex partner. Uh, they're, you know, not necessarily, you know, against me in any way, as long as I'm not against them. Um, and so that's usually the, you know, the, the big thing is, yeah. you know, what does my celibacy mean for LGBTQ people? Is this, is this my statement of war against them, telling them that they need to be celibate? Or is this my own conviction? Is this how I'm choosing to live my life? Is this how I'm choosing? I'm choosing to follow Jesus. I'm not necessarily trying to force this onto other people. Um, and so for me, it's the latter. It's, you know, it's my journey. It's, you know, my faith, it's my walk with Jesus. And this is how I'm choosing to live that out. And I'm not necessarily trying to do that in judgment against other people. Um, I'm not trying to say, you know, you over there need to be living the way I'm living my life. This is just, you know, what I've found, you know, the Lord to be convicting me to do in my life. And, you know, I want to live that out and I want to be faithful to that. Um, and so, you know, I think there's a big difference there. There's a big difference between someone who is celibate and they think you should be too, and, or someone who is celibate because, you know, they are trying to live the best life that God has given them to live. Um, and they are honoring your own efforts to do the same, even if they look different. And so, um, you know, I try to honor the efforts of other people to, um, follow Jesus, even if it's, you know, not identical to my own path that I'm walking. Wow, man, that was, <laughs> you said something there. I, I really like your response. You said something interesting. You said that about the church and, and we've seen this recently and, and Pastor Justin and I have talked about it on previous episodes of Defund the Church. Um, there's a, there's a nationalism that is embedded itself in the Christian church. Um, and there's a hierarchy, right? And mm -hmm. white straight male is at the top of the hierarchy. Um, and, and, even, and even, you know, black male can be up there, but certainly um, social justice warriors or gay rights, they're down the ladder. So there's almost an instant demonization of people who come out with these, as you say, different um, sexual ethics or different perspectives. Because I would like to, one of the things I was 
looking at is, you know, we all say all sin is sin, right? So who would be more guilty? A same-sex couple, a pastor who preaches on homosexuality that destroys God's witness to, you know, to other people, a man who sleeps around with other women and causes her to spiral in bad relationships where she's abused and feels less than, or a man who, you know, basically um, abuses his children. Like we have these different categories, but these are all these are all needing of a savior, right? All these things need a savior. So I guess the thing is, and when you've talked to conservative Christians, why, what what have they said in scripture says that people who are, you know, even in same-sex couples, I know you're, you practice celibacy, but people who are in same-sex couples, what makes them think scripturally that these people are doomed? They can't find salvation. What is it that they have said that this is it? Like, I know that, that, that they are out of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well... I mean, there's the simple answer, which is, you know, they point to, and I relate to this because I was there too, and would be the one that would point to these verses. They point to the clobber passages uh, and the clobber passages are, are named that because they're used to clobber LGBTQ people with the Bible. Um, and so, you know, they point to first Corinthians six, nine and Romans one and, um, Leviticus and, you know, they point to these verses and are like, it says right here in the Bible that men who practice homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of God it says it right there. And then, you know, Romans one twenty seven. you know, unnatural relations, you know, God gave them up to unnatural lusts and the un- evil desires of their heart. You know, that's homosexuality right there. Um, so we have these clobber passages that people point to, um, and uh, that kind of fuels a lot of this feeling that the Bible is clear in God's judgment against the quote-unquote homosexual community, um, and you know that's kind of the end of the story for a lot of people. Um, but it's not quite as simple as that, um, you know, a lot of people really don't understand or realize that the word homosexual, the word homosexuality is not actually in the original language. It is not actually in the Bible. And I would hear that argument when I was younger Um, And I would always kind of be just like, oh, you know, they're just making things up. You know, it says in the Bible, men who practice homosexuality, you know, will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what it says, you know, and I wouldn't really ever sit down and actually think through what the implications of this are. And so people, you know, I'll talk to people and I'll mention to them, you know, I remember having a conversation with a pastor once where, you know, he listed these verses out to me and I was like, well, you know that that word homosexuality is not in the original language, right? And he was shocked and uh, he didn't know what to say. And then he just kind of, you know, dismissed it and moved on. But I'm like, no, let's sit here and let's actually think about the implications of that. Like that word is not actually there. So why do we have it there in the English language? Um, And the answer is that the reason why we have that word there is because 
when uh, the concept of sexual orientation was developed and Freudian psychology became, you know, very popular, became popularized, um, uh, people started thinking about identity through a lens of sexual orientation for really the first time in human history. Like people never really defined human identity by who you are sexually attracted to. That was just never a thing. It, was just, it did not exist. But then you had this development of the concept of sexual orientation. All of a sudden people are starting to define human identity by who you are sexually attracted to. And so, uh, what happens, they come across a passage in scripture that says that two men are having sex with each other and they say, oh, they're homosexuals. And they just lump that on and they move on. Um, and uh, that's not actually accurate uh, because in biblical times, Sexuality was not understood as a product of sexual attraction. It was understood as a product of power and dominance and conquest. And so, you know, when in biblical times, it talks about two people having sex with each other, it's a very different thing going on than how we understand it today. And so to take a modern category and force it into an ancient text is completely anachronistic. Um, and so, you know, people will be like, oh, whatever, that's, you know, why is that important? You know, the original language still says, you know, men who have sex with men. Um, well, it's important because there is this kind of wrong idea of clarity that people have when it comes to homosexuality. This idea that the Bible is clear on homosexuality. And uh, the truth is, is that it's not clear. The Bible doesn't talk about homosexuality because sexual orientation did not exist. Like, by, like in Bible times, people didn't define other people by who they were sexually attracted to. That is a modern idea. And so, you know, when uh, we talk about homosexuality, we have to understand that it's a lot more complicated than just pointing to a passage and being like the Bible condemns homosexuality um, because there's more nuance to it. And I can, I say that as someone who ultimately still arrives at a traditional perspective of marriage. Um, and yet I still see the importance of recognizing the nuances there and why we have to acknowledge what the passage actually says instead of what we just want it to say. Mm, that was really good. She's dropping knowledge bombs. Man, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm, man, uh, if I, I, if I wasn't, if I'm, I'm sorry, if I, like I said, if I wasn't, if that was, that was so good. Like I'm just, we could stop right there. We're not, we're going to keep going, but that was so good. I'm, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Pastor. So no, I mean, she's referencing 1946 when homosexuality was first added to to translations, and then it became the broad uh, adopted broadly across uh, across them. And mm -hmm. um, what Kath, Kathy Baldock's done a lot of research yep. on that, and like yep. that's been super helpful reading her. Um, I'm impressed that you know Kathy Baldock and her I've, work and I, stuff like oh, that. I've, that's I've awesome. Met, I've met Kathy. She's great. And oh, I've, that's awesome. I've been to 
Q conference a few times. Okay. Um, and uh, I've probably read 50 books on uh, LGBT, the intersection of LGBT and, and, and theology. Okay. So I, so a little more background on me two years ago, I lost my license in my denomination because I came out as affirming. And wow. so it's been a journey, if you will. And this has been very uh, central to that. But I do think one thing most people don't recognize is like Romans and multiple other passages are largely um, so likely that they're referencing pederasty, which is older men who are in a marriage relationship with a woman, likely uh, raping younger boys. Like this is a power structure and that we don't understand in the sense of like it being culturally acceptable. And that's mm -hmm. what I think Paul's drawing attention to mm -hmm. where it's like we, and, and we don't have, this is where it's so difficult for me as a pastor. Cause I'm like, we can't be reading the Bible through the 21st century lenses. We have to understand what's happening in that culture mm -hmm. so that we understand what Paul's calling out. You just yeah. immediately believe that Paul's calling out loving monogamous same-sex relationships. That's not what he's calling out. Like that's not at all what he's calling out. Mm -hmm. Not that Paul might, Paul very well might have called that out if it existed in his culture. I'm not saying he wouldn't have. I'm just saying, that's not what he's referencing. Mm -hmm. And so many people, I don't think, take the time to do the scholarship to recognize that. And just mm -hmm. in the last five minutes, you've done a good job of just like bringing that like around and making that very clear. My, my question to you is, so do you come down on the side of like, obviously, so like, I don't drink alcohol. I don't drink alcohol, not because the scripture tells me not to drink alcohol because it doesn't, but I because ultimately in my life, I've just learned that like, I feel called to not drink alcohol because long line of alcoholism in my family, this just isn't for me, but it's not an ethic that I'm going to force on anyone else or teach anyone else. You can't have alcohol. Drunkenness obviously is a different level, right? For scripturally. But mm -hmm. do you, do you feel like this is celibacy as a call that you feel God's placed on your life above and beyond like, like the, the general LGBT population, or do you sense that like, that like, and I'm not saying you're necessarily going out and preaching this, but do you sense that is the ethical way the, the biblical standard maybe would be, and I don't know if you like that language, but maybe you can mm -hmm. change the language if, if you prefer, but how, how do you, how do you sense that LGBT, the LGBT community is supposed to relate in the church community? Because some pastors do say, Hey, you're welcome here. You just have to be celibate. And, and, and I've seen that cause a lot of harm. Mm -hmm. And usually that's also happening from a non-listening posture too, when it does happen. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's yeah. not, it's not happening from a relational posture, but you had said triggered earlier. And there's a lot of people that would be very triggered by a church that said, you need to be, you know, celibate to, to mm -hmm. serve here, to do anything. So speak a little bit to that and how you see this living out in the life of a faith community in a healthy way. Cause so much mm -hmm. unhealth has been done to the LGBT community. Um, so how like a more traditional sexual mm -hmm. ethic can be done in a healthy way. Yeah. So my raw opinion on is it okay for a church to require gay people to be celibate is uh, I like to pose it this way. Um, ask a pastor. If a heterosexual couple came into your church and uh, didn't have any children and it became clear that they were practicing contraceptive sex on a regular basis, would you ever in your right mind think of having some kind of rule that said heterosexual couples can't be members of your church if they are practicing contraceptive sex? 
And uh, the answer is no, he would never, ever do that. And, uh, you know, the next reaction then is like, people will scratch their heads and be like, how is that, you know, how is that similar to a gay couple coming to my church? Well, the fact of the matter is that it is extremely similar. As we mentioned, Romans 1, Romans 1, 27, particularly the, the passage that people most often like to quote, speaking about how God gave them over to unnatural lusts and unnatural desires. Um, people today read that and think, um, oh, he's talking about homosexuality because homosexuality is unnatural. Um, but for most of Christian history, the perspective of the church really up until like 1920s, like when, the, when contraception became accepted, acceptable in the Protestant church, but for almost the entirety of Christian history, that verse was understood in the context of all sex outside of procreation is unnatural. <laughs> and people did not read that verse traditionally, historically, and think, oh my gosh, like a man and a man are having sex. How could they do that? No, they read that verse and they thought, oh my gosh, like they're having sex and like with no ability to have children. Like, oh my gosh. Um, and so when we talk about homosexuality, and whether or not it's okay for gay people to have sex, we also need to be talking about like contraception and whether or not it's okay for two straight people to be having sex because the verses historically that we often associate with condemning homosexuality, if we were to understand them traditionally and hold the same bar for straight people also condemn heterosexual contraception. <laughs> and so, you know, I'll be like, okay, so you want to, you want to hold this really, really strict bar for gay people in your church. Would you be willing to hold that bar for straight people too? Because if you are going to have this reading of scripture, you need to be consistent. Yeah. And if you are going to apply this reading to gay people, well, you're going to have to really have you know, like, why would you not hold that for straight people too? You start looking a little bit heterosexist if you don't. Um, and so in, in my opinion, you know, we would never in a million years think that we need to have these kind of strict standards for straight people in the church. Mm -hmm. um, so why do we just automatically assume it's okay for gay people? Um, and so, yeah, go ahead. No, man, that, that was so good. So that was so good because you just got me thinking like, what about, you just said, forget asking if they're practicing contraception. What about couples that aren't in, in marriage, right? So, so if you, if you have a traditional sexual ethic, how many people are in the church now that are their longtime boyfriend and girlfriend or they're dating, right? Mm -hmm. Dating. And, and, are, and so are you, are you checking and making sure every couple who's yeah. not married in your church is not having sex. Like, are we doing mm -hmm. that? Right. Yeah. I mean, like there's people in churches who serve well, oh, he's a ladies man. What do you think that means? Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm just saying we, we allow those things to happen. And yet, like you said, and I think it comes down again, going back to the nationalist 
thinking because there is a certain mindset where people think of um, people in the same-sex community as being lawless. Like they're just mm -hmm. out there reckless. Like everybody's out there spreading HIV. So mm -hmm. these people are just dangerous. And so it's these fringe arguments or these maybe you know some fringe people promiscuity is wrong whether or not you're practicing heterosexual sex or homosexual sex it's still wrong so but but the thing is homosexuals get labeled with they're all promiscuous they're all promiscuous they're all just out there and mm -hmm. and, there's, and there's even the mindset that if a gay person comes around you they're going to try to get you too right like mm -hmm. they don't be, you know that's why so many people don't even have aren't in friends we don't have relationships with people in the same sex community because there's this fear like the gay is going to rub up rub off on you mm -hmm. like don't talk to him too much <laughs> don't talk to him too much be just like them and, 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 and that and that is and that is a nationalistic mindset because that is not a grace mindset yeah yeah what you, yeah. You, you brought up paul he said i became all things to all people and so if homosexuality had existed he would have also applied that in in his his analogy he wouldn't mm -hmm. say that too. He wouldn't say I became. He would say I became all things that went all people. But now we don't win. We don't want to win. The, we don't want to win certain people. We're like, well, mm -hmm. you're doing that. Mm -hmm. We're not. We're not even gonna get down with that. And I just think that's a, a complete misunderstanding of, of God's grace, and 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 a reading straight into nationalism, which can cut people off, which can say you're out. Mm -hmm. Great. You're never cut off from grace. We're never cut off from God's grace. Right. And so to have anything that preaches that otherwise, that is actually more wrong than anything anybody's practicing to mm -hmm. say where you are now, you're out, you can't be in. And that's what we do. We, and we make ourselves feel good by having icebreakers about Adam and Steve in churches. It makes everybody feel good. It's like, mm -hmm. but you know what? Everybody's sin is at the same level. And, and until we recognize that we won't ever get past it. So, so, I, I want to transition into your book when it when it comes out. I want to tell tell listeners when it comes out, and more importantly, are you doing any like events around? Like I know it's COVID, but are you doing mm -hmm. anything to like promote it? Because I just feel like your wisdom in this area is is special, right? And and, and I say that in a very positive way because sometimes people say we well, can't even we can celebrate what you're doing because this is your journey. This is your ministry. You're doing this in a way that other people couldn't or wouldn't. Mm -hmm. So um, I just say all that to say, hey, how can, tell us the name of your book, where the listeners can, can pre-order it, if they can do that, if you're doing any tours, any signings, like are you giving any, are there any promotions? Just let the, let, let the listeners know if you're doing anything like that. Yeah, I, the name of the book is Heavy Burdens, Seven Ways LGBTQ Christians Experience Harm in the Church. And it's uh, currently available for pre-order on Amazon. And uh, I haven't announced this yet. So you guys are hearing this first. Uh, Whoa, exclusive. <laughs> but I'm like, exclusive. I'm planning on announcing it. Uh, I'm supposed to announce it this week. I'm waiting to like hear back, but I'm supposed to announce it this week. So hopefully when this podcast comes out, <laughs> I will have already announced it, but it should, it's, uh, it's available now for pre-order on Amazon. And, um, and uh, I uh, don't have any events scheduled yet, but I uh, am going to be exploring that and seeing what's possible. You know, right now COVID is so uncertain, um, but 
definitely something that I'm going to be exploring, but people can find out more about it um, at my website, BridgetEileenRivera.com or at my blog, meditationsofatravelingnun.com. Um, and also follow me on social media. Uh, my handle is travelingnun on social media. So feel free to follow me there and you can get lots of updates that way as well. Hey everyone, hope you enjoyed part one of our interview with Bridget Eileen Rivera. In our next episode, we're gonna conclude with part two. So definitely stay on the lookout for that. Check that out. Again, thank you for listening. We love you. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please subscribe and iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and other major podcast platforms. And also, don't forget to visit defundthechurch.com where you can find news and information on how to support this movement and rebuild the kingdom. Thank you.